0: Well, friends, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 1. Uh, we're in our third and final series uh, sermon in this series on Psalm 1. Uh, we're reading the whole psalm as we've done in the past, but we're focusing uh, on verse 2 specifically. And the theme is meditating on God's Word. Now, every Sunday, the gospel message, the, the sermon, uh, is an extended corporate meditation on God's Word, because we're not simply studying a passage or learning about it, but we're actually seeking uh, that the Lord might speak it into our lives, that we might respond to it. And so we're in Psalm 1, uh, part 3 of our mini-series in this psalm. In order to give God our attention and with reverence show uh, our respect for His Word, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me. Standing is that act of worship, We read God's word and we receive God's word with reverence for God's word. Hear it now, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Friends, would you join me in asking the Lord's help once more? Father, in order for our time to be profitable, we would need your spirit to illuminate the truth of your word into the darkness of our hearts so that we would hear very clearly the voice of our God and in hearing his voice respond in faith in obedience and surrender. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would free us from distraction this morning so that we would be attentive to what you might speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a New York Times uh, bestseller, by an author named A.J. Jacobs. Uh, The book is called The Year of Living Biblically. And it's about a man's journey, trying his best to obey the Bible as literally as possible for one year. And so for example, one thing he does is he grows out his beard, doesn't trim it because the Old Testament says not to do that. He does that for a year. The Bible says to tie tassels on your clothes and so he buys tassels from a website and every time he steps out into public, he puts tassels on the end of his clothing. He even takes the command to tithe. Literally, he begins tithing 10% of his income to various charities and organizations. Now, the interesting thing about this book is that the man is by no means religious. Uh, He describes himself like this in the book. He says, I grew up in an extremely secular home in New York City. I am officially Jewish but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant, uh, which is to say, not very. I was an agnostic before I even knew what the word meant. And it's a very interesting and entertaining book, but there's this uh, one particular section pretty early on in it that really stuck out to me, and I wanna share it with you, where the author, A.J. Jacobs, writes this. As with most biblical journeys, my year has taken me on detours I could never have predicted. I didn't expect to herd sheep in Israel or find solace in prayer. I didn't expect to confront just how absurdly flawed I am. I didn't expect to, as the psalmist says, take refuge in the Bible and rejoice in it. Here is a man for whom the Bible is just a book. For him, it's not inspired. It's not authoritative. It's not divine. It's not God's self-revelation. And yet, in his commitment to read the Bible, he was able to taste a bit of what the Bible promises to those who read and receive it. He learned to take refuge in it, to rejoice in it. Now, is that something that you desire to have? Something that you want to experience? Because how much more true is it that Christians for whom the Bible is not just a human book or an ancient document or a religious philosophy, for Christians for whom the Bible is God's inspired word revealing who he is and his loving heart to save a sinful humanity and how we might live in the joy and freedom of that, how much more should we desire to know this book and to find our refuge in it and to rejoice in it? You see, on the one hand, we understand As the institution of the church, the Bible is important. From it, we derive our core doctrines. We are able to discern what is truth and error, orthodoxy and heresy. But the Bible is far more important than just for the institution of the church. The Bible is important for individual Christians. The Bible is what we need, like the air we breathe. It's not simply a guidebook for how we should live or inspiring tales of morality for us to follow. We're told in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. King David in Psalm 19 says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. You see, dear friends, when it comes to God's word, when it comes to your relationship and your interactions with it, how important and vital is the word of life to your life? Do you only come once a week, gathering on these Sunday meetings, hoping to receive enough religious instruction or spiritual encouragement to last you until next week when you come again to receive what you've been starving? from the past week, or or do you find yourself gravitating toward it every single day in some shape or form? Because you know your life is like a desert, and what's promised in the word is living water for a thirsty soul. Let me ask you, friends, do you experience the word of God to be a refuge for your life? Do you discover in it reasons to rejoice when the world robs you of any reasons? See, that's what the word of God should be to us. And Psalm 1, remember, it begins like this. Blessed is the man. It's a description of the blessed man. And this man understands that his blessedness comes from rootedness. His blessedness isn't in the happiness of his circumstances, but his rootedness in God and his word, despite what the circumstances are. Psalm 1, we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, says that The unholy man is an unhappy man. The man who walks in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in in the seat of scoffers. That this man, this unholy man is an unhappy man, but blessed is the man. And that's how verse two starts. But, but there's a different path for the blessed man, for the happy man, because this man, his life is rooted in the law of God, in Torah, in the word of God. Verse three describes him like this. He is like a man planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. The imagery is powerful. I mean, have you ever gone out into nature? Maybe you've gone up to uh, Acadia National Park or to the Rocky Mountains and you've seen these evergreens. And the beautiful thing about evergreens is that they don't lose their leaves and they don't change their color. They remain green all year round. Thus, the name, evergreen. Evergreens are able to remain green despite the scorching summer sun. They never shed their leaves despite the harsh winter frost. Somehow these evergreens are able to thrive despite whatever conditions they're subjected to. As we reflect on this, you might wonder to yourself, how might I be like a mighty spiritual evergreen? How might I thrive in the midst of life's various circumstances? How might I be able to withstand and, uh, despair in life, experience unimaginable betrayal, endure painful suffering, get through tremendous, sorrowful loss. Dear friends, how can you pres- be preserved and persevere without withering? How is it possible to lose everything, to have the rug pulled out from under your life and still be blessed? To face every kind of threat and turmoil and attack, and adversity, and still thrive? That's the question. And we need an answer to it. Is the answer by your own determination, and willpower, and strength, and resolve, and grit? To which the psalmist says, absolutely not. The answer only comes as you are planted and rooted in God's word. As you're connected to the very stream of living water, who is Christ himself. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be planted and rooted in the word like the psalmist here is describing? And I think many of you think you have an idea. To be planted, rooted in God's word, doesn't that mean to fill my head with an assortment of Bible facts and trivia answers? Isn't it to be able to articulate theological doctrine and to know and have a good grasp of Bible knowledge? Is it to read the scriptures In large chunks or to get through Bible reading plans every single year or to memorize the really important verses. But according to the psalmist, it looks nothing like that. To the psalmist, if you want to be planted and rooted in God's word, if you want to be blessed in and through every season of life, you must, he says, delight and meditate on God's word. Delight and meditate. That's very different than this way we approach God's word, which is, in the most extreme, overwhelming moments, we have this sporadic, Hail Mary, desperate kind of uh, rhythm of running to God's word only when we are in great need. But we need more than that. We need a regular practice. We need a rhythm of life. We need a daily liturgy. So the psalmist writes in verse 2 Blessed is the man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How will you be blessed and rooted? Meditate on God's word, delight in it. But how do you do this and what does it look like? How do you do this and what does it look like? Well, here's something interesting. Notice first that the psalmist assumes that reading the word is not enough. Seeing the words with your eyes is not enough. Speaking the words with your mouth is not enough. Hearing the words with your ears is not enough. He says you must meditate on them. Bear them on your heart. Now here's the thing, what what is Christian meditation? Because we've heard of meditation before and often our mind goes to that Eastern view, Eastern philosophy of meditation, which is achieved as you empty your mind, as you hum and do yoga and you become an empty vessel, malleable, formed. We often think meditation is achieved through breathing exercises and techniques where you release and you let go And you free yourself. But the biblical view of meditation is completely different. It says it's not as you empty yourself, it's as you fill yourself. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell in you. Hence the image of residence. Not passing through you. Not spending one night over in your heart. Not subletting for a few months, living in you, dwelling in you, taking root in you. Because ultimately, meditation is not about mental passivity of letting go and being empty, but about mental activity, engagement, focus. It's something akin to what Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse eight, when he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Set your mind to these things. Be active in your thoughts and in your heart to hear and know the word of Christ. And that requires you soak up God's word in your life. You make it personal and prominent. Now, the word meditate can get confusing because we often have these Eastern kind of views of meditation. So, you know, I think a more helpful word for us is a word like marinate. Let the word of God marinate in your life. When you marinate a dish, some chicken or, or, or beef, you know, it's a process of letting the food soak in and absorb all of the seasonings. Right? And if, you may know if you've ever cooked and you marinated something, that it does one of two things the longer you let it marinate. The first thing it does is it intensifies in flavors. The flavors get deep. They penetrate into the fibers of the protein. But the second thing it does is that it tenderizes. It softens because the acid, it causes all the tendons to break down. And we understand marinating. I mean, right now we, we live in a very privileged time where you know the Korean culture is really globally accepted. If you're sticking to K in front of something, it's gonna be a global hit. K drama, K pop, K barbecue. And so everywhere, places are popping up and people love Korean meat, Korean barbecue, why? Because it's marinated meat, it's flavorful meat, it's tender meat. To meditate on God's word is to marinate in it. And with any proper marinate, it's best done day and night. To soak it in until it softens and tenderizes your own heart. And when that happens, as you meditate on God's law, marinate on his word, you receive its truths and its comforts and its promises and its assurances. And actually begins to make a difference because you're receiving it deep down inside. So meditate. But how do you meditate? What does that look like? Meditation is not analyzing the words of Scripture to arrive at fresh theological conclusions every time you open up God's Word. That's not the point. Meditating on Scripture is not drawing forth and drawing out new nuggets and kernels of truth, having new discoveries and making new connections in Scripture. Very important, but not meditation. Meditation is not reading the word and thinking to yourself, oh, somebody else really needs to hear this. Meditation is pausing and taking your time sitting in God's word long enough that the spirit of God would speak to you through his word. He would search your heart and he would do something in you. You know, as you meditate on God's word, the spirit is going to do one of two things. He's going to comfort you or he's going to make you uncomfortable. He's going to do one of two things. The problem is we don't give the spirit enough time in our daily devotions. You might call it quiet times, personal worship. You might call it to actually let him do that work. We don't sit in the scriptures. We don't linger in it. We lose patience. We get distracted. We prioritize other things. One of my favorite Christian quotes of all time comes from the Puritan Thomas Watson, who said this, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Just let that sink in. We come away cold from reading God's word because we don't warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. We read God's word, but we don't reflect and respond to God's word. We don't let meditation be that bridge between reading the word and responding to the word. Scripture reading and prayer. If I could offer up my own definition of meditation as I was preparing this week, here's what I came up with. Meditation is the pause that allows the word of God to inform your words to God. It's the pause. It's the lingering, the sitting in the word of God so that it begins to inform your words to God so that you hear the Lord speak, and then you speak to the Lord in response. You see, friends, this is how you experience deep communion and fellowship with God. Abide with God. Now, it's February now, one month into the new year. How many of you made some kind of resolution or commitment to be faithful in your devotional life, your spiritual life, your Bible reading Oftentimes, we find these to be unfulfilling or unsatisfying. Simply put, our hearts are cold because we don't warm them by the fire of meditation. And we fail to abide with God through his word because we fall into one of two errors. The first error is this. We read the Bible to extract information. When we live in an age of information, most people only read things to know or to learn And to be honest, we have a tendency, don't we, as Reformed Presbyterians, God bless our tradition, but when we pick up the Word of God, we read a passage, and then we ask the question, well, what new thing did I learn? What new thing did I discover? And the excitement and joy with which you did your time in God's Word is equated with what new discovery or insight did I receive? And we fail to meditate because we're treating the whole thing so abstractly and cognitively. So then what happens? You learn something new. You close the Bible. You walk away, but you're no different. You're still cold because you've accessed God's word, but you have not let his word access you. it's the same thing as pouring water onto a mouth with closed lips. You you, You can't call that drinking. In the same way, we come to God's word, but we walk away never refreshed and satisfied because we have not meditated on it. That's one error. The other error is we come to God's word. We read it in order to experience emotions. You come to God's word and every time you read it, you're expecting some kind of spirit prompted experience. You want a mini revival. You want a personal encounter with the divine. And you're hoping, you're waiting to be moved and inspired. You're hoping to experience something deep. then you read certain parts of the Bible and that don't arouse those things in you, things you don't understand, things that are unrelatable. And your complaint is my quiet times have been dry. I mean, it's hard to feel communion with God when you're reading chapters on the curtain lengths of the tabernacle. I mean, in the end, you want the flame without tending to the embers and stoking the fire. How do you overcome both errors? The error of reading only to extract information and the error of only desiring to experience an emotion. It's to meditate on God and his word. In the end, you are reading to be with God, to hear from God, and to respond to God. Because what is meditation? It's the pause that allows the word of God to inform your words to God. You read and receive to reflect and respond. You marinate in it. You let it seep into the crevices of your heart. You sit with the truth. Have you ever sat with the truth in scripture long enough that it began to just change the way you think of God? Or sat with the truth long enough to realize, I need to see myself differently as a result of this. Have you ever sat with a verse long enough where uncovered sin now needs to be repented of. Have you ever sat with an old, old familiar promise of God that you need to believe again today? As the living God addresses you through his living word, you fellowship and commune with him, you abide with him. Here's my pastoral encouragement and suggestion it's so simple that it's overlooked. As you read the Bible this week, ask the Holy Spirit one question. How can I pray in response to hearing your voice today? If you're going to read the Bible, don't read the Bible and say, what new thing did I learn? What connections did I take? Read the Bible and ask the question, Spirit of God, you've given me this word. You've inspired it. You've illuminated it into my heart. How might I pray in response? Because prayer makes it a- applicable to your life. Holy Spirit, how might I pray in Response. And then ask yourself this question. How is the word of God forming and informing my words to God? Is, is, is there a truth in here that God is telling me to believe? Is there a sin or habit or idolatry that he's calling me to confess? Is there a promise in here? He's telling me you need to claim this. Is there a command that he's saying you need to obey? Is there a warning he's saying you need to heed? Is there an encouragement he's saying you need to receive? You see, friends, this is the beauty of meditation. This is how you become like the evergreen tree, withstanding all the torrents of life. And sadly put, friends, many of you aren't rooted in the Lord because you're not rooted in the word. and You're not rooted in the word because you don't meditate on it. You may nibble on it, skim it, peek at it, reference it. You may even study it and memorize it, but you don't meditate on it. You don't plant yourself in the word and therefore your feet are not planted in the streams of living water. And this refusal, we can have a lot of excuses. Uh, I'm too busy, too many things going on too tired. It's too hard. It's too difficult. That's not why you're not finding delight in it. You're not finding delight in it because your delight is in something else. The psalmist knows that. He began in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He knows that if you're going to meditate on it, you must delight in it. The question is how? I mean, some of you have really tried to be in God's word. You tried to be a man or a woman of God's word. And yet you find it so hard because you can't just change your desire. Your own willpower and determination and the goals and schedules you laid out, the calendar that you planned for yourself, it isn't sufficient enough. I mean, some of you may know this about me. Uh, I really have a distaste for pickled and fermented things um, unfortunately, I'm Korean, and most of the Korean dishes fall in this category. And you know, my parents, the first generation parents, uh, and they lived so much of their lives in poverty that uh, they never had any sympathy for the fact that I didn't like certain kinds of foods. Because for them, you know, like my refusal to eat kimchi growing up, uh, for them it, it meant that I just had never experienced true hunger. <laughs> like. The fact that I didn't like food for them was considered a, that's a luxury. It's a privilege that you don't like certain foods because when you're so hungry that you don't have a choice but to eat what's in front of you, right, you will accept anything. And so, of course, growing up, they did everything in their power, everything possible that they could to make me eat and enjoy these dishes. But the reality is they could do everything and they did do everything to make me eat it, but they could not do anything to make me enjoy it. Very different You can't coerce a change of delights. Duty can be willed. Duty can be produced with enough external pressure, but delight and desire can't. So desire and delight in God's word can be forced upon you. The spirit of God draws it out of you as you begin to see in his word a type of beauty and taste a type of sweetness that you've never tasted before. That happens as you understand what this word is about. It's not primarily about what you must do for Him to be saved, it's primarily about what He's done for you to save you. God's word is not primarily about you keeping the law, it's about the law keeper God has sent because He knew you could never do it. Do you know the Bible is not about God's rules for you to earn your way toward Him? It's God's revelation of how he made a way for you. The law of God will be oppressive, condemning, and undelightful until we realize the law of God reveals the love of God. The love God had for us, evidence displayed in sending Jesus Christ, the one, who came into the world to obey the law that you could not obey and to take the punishment for all the laws you failed to obey. That's what the scriptures are about. That's what the word of God is about. It testifies to the only true blessed man who did not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, nor did he ever sit in the seat of scoffers. This one true blessed man, Jesus Christ, The only one who ever truly delighted in the law of God and meditated on it day and night. And yet he suffered the fate of a cursed man. The fate reserved for you and me, but he did it voluntarily. Exchanging places with us. He stood in the seat of judgment reserved for us so that we might find ourselves surprisingly in the congregation of the righteous where he belonged. So it's only through Jesus Christ that we are blessed. That's what the word of God is primarily about. So then to peer into it, to pour over, to linger in it, to marinate our souls in its truths. That's how delight and desire is produced from within. Because to meditate on the law of the Lord is to meditate on the love of the Lord an unconditional Sacrificial, gracious, undeserving love that He's poured out to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, by His Spirit. Dear friends, delight in the law of the Lord comes when you discover the love of the Lord in the gospel, the love of God for lawbreakers like you and me, who will find at the end of our course not a curse but a blessing. It's your delight that will drive you into meditation. And as you meditate, you will discover delight. That's the holy cycle. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be planted and rooted in God's word in every season, pause long enough so the word of God informs your words to God. That's how you'll be a mighty spiritual evergreen to withstand the torrents, and the tempests of life. Let's pray.